0: to Everything a Season, Lutheran Reflections Through the Church Year, a weekly devotional series based on readings relevant to the current liturgical season. You can watch this series live on our YouTube page every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks for tuning in, and now on to this week's discussion.
1: Welcome. We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to To Everything a Season, Lutheran Reflections through the Church here. My name is William Green, and as always, I'm joined by Pastor Brian King. Before we begin tonight, we did have a couple of important reminders. Uh, First and foremost, this is our last discussion before Lent starts, and during the season of Lent, our format is going to change slightly. We're still going to be broadcasting at the normal time, 7 o'clock on Wednesdays. And the podcast will continue to be released on Thursday morning. However, uh, instead of a discussion like we usually have, we are going to broadcast uh, for our live viewers the entirety of the midweek service from uh, St. Luke Lutheran in Ottawa. And for our podcast listeners, uh, you will hear the readings appointed for that day and then Pastor King's sermon. And so that's the format that we're going to keep throughout the entirety of Lent. It'll give me a chance to go to our midweek service, and obviously it'll give Pastor King a chance to conduct uh, the midweek service in Ottawa.
1: Yeah, we've been had a few years of weird worship services over the internet and things like that. And last year, you and I went through the passion narrative through Lent, mm-hmm. and that worked okay. But we can now um, resume having normal worship services, and, and that's okay. It's yep. a good thing. It's a good Great. thing. So then the other point along similar lines, Will, if you'd be so kind.
0: Yes. So um, because of Pastor King's retirement, um, we will eventually uh, stop broadcasting on the St. Luke social media pages. So um, if you typically view us live from either the St. Luke YouTube or Facebook, you'll want to be sure that you transition to uh, the To Everything a Season uh, YouTube page or Facebook page or Twitch channel whichever you prefer and so we have a, a few QO, QR codes uh, up on the screen right now if you're uh, watching us live and you can scan those and it'll take you to the YouTube channel so you can subscribe and get the proper channel information there
1: yeah, yeah And our, our planned change date would be Wednesday May 3rd yes Right. so after Easter we'll be here for a few weeks and then as I'm hopefully retiring at the end of April. Uh, that That's going to be a bit dependent on the new pastor's ability to move to Ottawa and things like that, but that's the plan at this point. So starting May 3rd, we'll be on our own YouTube channel uh, as well as our Facebook page and my Facebook page and my YouTube channel, etc. But we really want people to find us on the Lutheran Reflections YouTube page. Okay. Yep. And so only- we'll
0: leave that QR code in the upper left-hand corner if you're watching us, and then you can scan that anytime during the the broadcast, and it'll take you there. So yeah.
1: And the quiz of the day. What does QR stand for?
0: Oh, you told me this as we were prepping.
1: Yeah. Did you remember? Do you remember the things I tell you?
0: <laughs> quick. Response. Read. Quick, resp- <laughs> response. Okay. quick response. Quick
1: response. I think, yeah. quick resp- I think it's quick response. Okay. It's something. I, maybe I just made it up.
0: Well, I wouldn't know No, either way. Probably nobody
1: would know. And, and, and even more importantly, nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Or as my wife says, that's nice, dear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. So,
1: yeah, yeah. We, we get bogged down in the little intricacies and minutiae of life. And sometimes we think that's fun. And sometimes it is.
0: Yep. Right. All right, so uh, for this evening, uh, because this is our last discussion before Lent, we wanted to look at the psalm appointed for Ash Wednesday, which is Psalm 51.
1: Right, and you want me to read that now?
0: Yeah, let's go ahead and jump in.
1: Okay, Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones be Rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, for I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good, design in your good pleasure, build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings then bowls will be offered on your altar.
0: Great. Thank you, Pastor. You're welcome. So obviously a lot of really important things here. And um, if you go to a liturgical church, uh, you'll likely recognize a lot of the components of this psalm as portions of our liturgy. And so we'll talk about that in a bit. But um, let's perhaps give some context for the season we're entering into. Now, I know Psalm 51 is known as a penitential psalm. Last week, we talked about some of the distinctions between the different kinds of psalms that there are and when they're used. So, Pastor, maybe could you tell us a little bit about uh, what the penitential psalms are, especially having in mind we're about to enter enter into a penitential season. You can talk about what that means.
1: Augustine actually, um, I think, listed four, um, categorized four of the psalms as penitential. Now, remember, Augustine lived from 354 to 430, so a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So, and probably one of the most, well, by far one of the most influential theologians of that era. Mm-hmm. And he categorized four of the Psalms, of the 150 Psalms, being penitential. Historically, we've sort of looked at Psalms 6, 32, 38, 51, 102, 130, and 143 as penitential. Now, this isn't a quiz, so I didn't expect you to remember them. They're easy to find to look up, but David we know wrote 6, 32, 38, 51, and one forty-three, one hundred two, and one thirty. We don't know who the author was, which of course hmm. also makes it possible that he wrote them as well.
0: Hmm. Interesting. So, okay,
1: but the the kind of basic general overall structure of a penitential psalm is um, that the author, and then and then this is the wonderful thing about the psalms is that they're they're they're, they're personal. They're sometimes a bit gritty in a way uh the person relates their their sin their unworthiness to God and then and then rejoices and asks God to be merciful and then rejoices in that mercy so they're penitential in that they they relate and communicate to God one's sorrow over sin but then also acknowledge that God is merciful and
0: gracious right okay so good so is that what penitential means more or less in this context? Yes, yeah, the, the character of recognizing yeah. one's sinfulness, that sort of thing. Right,
1: right. Uh, you know, penitential. It's funny; it's similar to the word penitentiary in a way, uh, mm-hmm. but penitential, being having the idea of repentance at its heart. You're sorry right. for something. You're 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 penitent. Right.
2: You're, right. You're
1: you're acknowledging your your sinfulness and your unworthiness, and that's this is the 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 struggle of every pastor is to convict people of their sin but not to make them feel feel bad but to make them understand they're they're spiritually wanting right, right? and then show them the need for god right
0: you don't want to drive them to despair
1: no and you that, don't want to berate you don't want to berate people either right i don't want people to walk out of a service or to leave here this evening feeling as though well i guess i'm not very good i guess i don't deserve god's love because that's that's the problem that we face when we preach the law is we don't want people to to uh, be despairing,
0: right? But in the same sense, there is some right recognition that we don't deserve God's love, right, and that we are sinners and that we aren't good people, right? Like uh, so, so we don't want to drive people to despair over those things, but at the same time, those are things that we need to rightly recognize, right?
1: And when and when we recognize that then it should increase our appreciation of God's loving character Mm -hmm. for God. So loved the world that he sent his only begotten son.
0: Right. Exactly. And that's where like that law gospel distinction comes in. And maybe that's one reason that like we as Lutherans, like kind of sometimes don't know what to do with things like Lent and the other penitential seasons, because um, I think we have this tendency to, not want to overemphasize the law at the expense of the gospel. And maybe from the outside in looking at these penitential seasons, it seems like a season of an emphasis of law in in some respect.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like we're all unworthy, uh, you know, put on the sackcloth and ashes, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, just, just, you know, berate yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's not, that's not the point in a way. It's a spiritual exercise, and, and one that I think uh, amongst Christians has, the, the, the fine art of it has been a bit lost over the centuries.
0: So what would you say is like an appropriate Lutheran uh, response or take on, on the season of Lent? How should we be approaching this season as Lutherans?
1: Well, you know, a friend of mine many, many years ago uh, you know, w- when we have a communion service, we, we we confess our sins, we receive absolution. There's a point in the service where we go up and receive Christ's body and blood in, with, and under the bread and wine. Mm-hmm. And many years ago, a friend of mine uh, said to me, yeah, said, when I'm going up that altar, I realize I am totally unworthy. I I should not be here. I should not receive this gift. I, I don't deserve it. But when I walk away, I'm just joyful at Christ's love, mercy, and forgiveness. Mm. And maybe that's the way we should look at the whole season, that we are unworthy. We have sinned against God and thought, word and deed, by what we have done and by what we were left undone. And we do indeed only deserve his wrath and displeasure. But look at God, how merciful and gracious he is to us. He sent his son to bleed and die for us to forgive us. And that brings joy to our hearts. And, and right. we can all bear in mind the fact that the phrase is the law is a handmaiden to the gospel.
2: Mm -hmm. Right.
1: It's always there to serve the gospel, to drive us to the foot of the cross, to make us understand that, yes, we're sinful, but God's love is greater than our sin. God's forgiveness is greater than than our iniquities.
0: Right. Right. And and that kind of two-part reflection that you mentioned, first like an acknowledging of our guiltiness and our sin, and then later uh, recognition that those sins are forgiven and the joyfulness that comes with that. That's sort of reflected in the psalm that we just read, right? Yeah. And um Luther had something really good to say about this. So uh as our regular listeners know, we usually try to bring in an extra biblical reading. And tonight we wanted to read just one short section from Luther's lecture on Psalm fifty-one. Because he has a really good distinction here. It's it's not dissimilar to the one that you just mentioned. So I'll go ahead and read that if you don't mind. Sure. That's great well. So Luther writes Uh, regarding Psalm 51. Here, the doctrine of true repentance is set forth before us. There are two elements in true repentance, recognition of sin and recognition of grace, or to use the more familiar terms, the fear of God and trust in his mercy. These two parts, David sets forth before us in this prayer, as in a beautiful picture for us to look at. At the beginning of the Psalm, we see him troubled by the knowledge of his sin and the burden of his conscience. And at the end, he consoles himself with the trust in the goodness of God and promises that he will also instruct others so that they might be converted. So it is apparent that in this psalm, the prophet wants to set down the true wisdom of divine religion in the right words with the right meaning, with the express purpose of teaching us the nature of sin, grace, and total repentance. There are also other psalms of this type, like Psalm 32 and Psalm 130. David is a master in teaching this doctrine, but in such a way that in using this doctrine, he remains a pupil with us. For all people, be they they ever so illumined by the Holy Spirit, still remain pupils of the Word. They remain under and near the Word, and they experience that they can hardly draw out a drop from the vast ocean of the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Sure. That's really good. And like you said... um, True repentance does come in this like two-part recognition, first of uh, our sinfulness and then of God's grace. That's kind of like the two components of true repentance, right?
1: Right. And historically, Christians have sort of lost some of that balance. We, we, we talk about, you know, the distinction between law and gospel and, and, and kind of a balance uh, between the two. Uh, but if you think about a teeter-totter in the balance, the law is always heavier, bigger, stronger okay right right so so one of the problems that's come out uh is the idea of doing acts of penance yes thoughts
0: yes yeah that's something i wanted to to talk about so um i see one of my roman catholic friends is listening so i'm sure he'll correct me in the chat if i (laughs) misspeak on his behalf um but The way I understand it, um, we as Lutherans don't take the same approach to acts of penance as maybe our Roman Catholic brothers, right? Uh, The way I understand it, um, some Christians have this idea that uh, true repentance is in some fashion conditioned upon some act of penance or like trying to remedy the temporal harm that your sin has caused someone So, like, um, if you go to confession uh, and you're in the Roman Catholic tradition, perhaps you'll be given, like, an act of penance as, like, a condition of your absolution, right? Right.
1: And part of that was the translation that Jerome did into Latin, you know, 1,700 years ago, that translating repent as doing acts of penance. mm -hmm. It was kind of a confusing translation.
0: Right, but, like, not only that, like... um, I know a lot of Lutherans will still give up something for Lent, and that's often characterized as like a kind of act of penance. Um, and, and perhaps we ought not see it that way. No, and my pastoral
1: can... pastor response to that is people ask what I give up for, for Lent. I say I give up my Wednesday evenings. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, you know, do not do your deeds of righteousness before men to be praised by them, et cetera, et cetera. And you know you do have the example of Zacchaeus who so when he's confronted with Jesus and 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 repented he he did say hey I'm going to give back if I've taken anything dishonestly I'm going to return it. Mm-hmm. So here's the here's the the sort of progression of things. It is natural for the person who's repented to want to fix things. Right. You feel bad about what you've done, you want to try to fix it. And and in some ways that gives a good witness that you've changed your moral compass has changed. Right. No. Granted, our moral compasses uh, are not perfect because we're Christian, mm-hmm. obviously. So, what the whole idea is that uh, you know. So, I go to another person who's a Christian, and I say, "Look, you did this. This is wrong, and you hurt that person. You you should fix that."
0: Yeah, and and that's okay, right? Nothing wrong with that for sure. No, and no.
1: The problem gets into are you are you paying for your sins in God's eyes by then trying to fix them? or doing some other act of kindness or goodness or trying to make up for them and that so logically of course if you're repentant you're turning away from sin you're turning to god right your heart is turning your spirit's becoming alive your behavior does change slowly but it changes and that's a sign to the world that you're now following christ right but to have someone say to you okay now that now that you've confessed that sin this is what you need to do well then it sort of gives the impression that they have to do something in order to get forgiveness.
0: Right. Right.
1: So but, I, you can you can see the logic of it, right?
0: Oh, definitely. But at the same time, like if someone confessed to you that they had stolen something from someone, and uh, you said, okay, you should you should give it back, <laughs> right? And yeah. they said, No, I don't want I, I don't yeah. want to give it back. Like, it,
1: shows, it shows they're not repentant.
0: Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, it does. Right. It
1: does. So so here's the thing. Um, that you want to always communicate that your forgiveness is based on the shed blood of Christ, not by you making restitution. Yes. So we have to bear in mind these, these two, um, aspects or directions of our relationships, the one with God being the most important, but the ones that we have with those around us are also important.
0: Mm
2: -hmm.
1: We can't, we can't make any restitution to God in respect to our sins.
2: Right. Right.
1: Right But we can make restitution to our neighbor, right. And we should right.
0: and and so, like you said, it might be the case that refusing to make some sort of restitution uh, might indicate a lack of genuine repentance is what Oh, you're yeah. Saying.
1: yeah, 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 it 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 does. it does and and it's hard sometimes for people to to apologize to someone or to make restitution. And, you know, you just handle, as a pastor, you just deal with people individually. Mm -hmm. The the biggest goal I have as a pastor, obviously, is to get people's, help people get their relationship with God straight, but then also to get their relationships with those around them straight, because that's important. That's important. But to force it on someone or to tell them they have to go do something, no, we don't do that.
0: Right. Well, we don't want to give the impression, like you said, that God's forgiveness is conditional upon like making up for, for your sin,
1: right? No, it's conditional on Christ dying.
0: Right, right. And At the same him. time, we need to make sure that we are truly repenting and like not just giving it lip service, right? We talked about this a few weeks ago when we addressed that verse about um, it seems that in some portions of scripture, our forgiveness is conditional upon us forgiving other people.
1: Right, right, right.
0: We, we said something similar there, <laughs> right? That,
1: yeah, and that for, that ability to forgive comes from and is motivated by God forgiving us, right? Our ability to forgive is is dependent on God's forgiving us. Our forgiving other, our getting forgiveness, receiving forgiveness through Christ, is not dependent on how we deal with others.
2: Yes, right.
1: It's a free gift. So we have to make sure we don't put the cart before the horse.
0: Right. So for these Lutherans who do decide to give up something for Lent as is custom, we don't regard that as an act of penance. Um, that's what some sort of other spiritual exercise uh, yeah, and that's designed great. to do what?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's a good thing sometimes to stop during these special seasons. Some, sometimes we need a, a little cue or a motivator to maybe spend a little more time in God's word or do something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that, that, but again, you know, that's between you and God. You don't broadcast it. You don't sound the trumpets. Look at me how holy and righteous I am. Right. I I, I don't want to know what people do during Lent that may be different other times. That's, be, that's between them and God.
2: Right. Exactly. Yeah. But here's
1: an opportunity to be reminded that, hey, maybe you could spend a little time in God's word and prayer during this season and, and read through the gospel accounts of, of Christ's uh, Crucifixion and resurrection, yeah. things like that. It's yeah, sort of an excuse to be more spiritual.
2: <laughs> right. All right,
1: like we, like we needed one, but yeah, but, but you know, Sunday mornings come around, and 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 you you kind of have an excuse or a reason or a motivation to be you know more a little more spiritually focused. That's okay,
0: right? I mean, it's, I mean, it's one of those instances where if it's a season where you're focused on looking inwardly, and <laughs> you're more aware of your sins than you usually are. Like perhaps you can start to see the things that are getting in the way of your spiritual life, perhaps that, and, and those are the things it. you can potentially give up and, you know, try to work on those things. And,
1: and that's the point your... of a penitential season right? is to focus more on your savior. And, and okay. So sin separates us. Sin separates us from God, separates us from each other. All that stuff. And sure, sure, it's a good time to say, hey, you know, I really need to walk away from that
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and look look to the Savior. And that's repentant. Repentance is turning. Turning away right. from sin, turning to God. Right. Okay. Right. Exactly. Okay. Should we um, jump? There were, l- let's give some, do you want to jump into some of the history of this psalm quickly?
0: Yeah. So you mentioned that it was written by David. But right. um, like last week, we mentioned that there was an inscription that is in the original text, or at least very, very old. Right. And we have another one of those here,
1: right? Right, we do, we do. Um, let me read it so I don't mess it up. The, the inscription or the title and subtitle, Create Me a Clean Heart, O God, to the choir master, a son of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So a little bit of the historical background, I'm not going to read all of 2nd Samuel eleven and twelve, it's it's a lot, but I wanted to highlight some of just some of what happened. So verses one to six of Second Samuel eleven. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, which may well be one of the saddest verses in the Bible. <laughs> right? Every spring, war season. It's war season. It's not planting time. It's not tulip plant, whatever. It's war season. It's very sad. It just, Mm -hmm. and and so it continues. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house, that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful and David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived. And she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite, and Joab sent Uriah to David. Now we get all these machinations of David trying to get Uriah to go sleep with his wife so that mm-hmm. everybody will think it's his child. tries this a couple times. Uriah is too too good a person. Shall I go lie with my wife when the army of Israel's intense and my fellow soldiers, all that stuff. you know, far be it for me. So then David writes a note to his commander, put Uriah up in front of the battle. And, of course, Uriah gets killed. The report comes back to David, et cetera, et cetera. David must think, oh, well, everything's fine. Everybody's going to think that when Uriah was in town, he went and, and went to his marriage bed, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So now you have a couple major things that David has done that are terrible. Mm-hmm. One, because of his position of authority, he could simply send and have this woman brought to, her, brought to him, Right, and and she dare not refuse him. Right, he was the king. He had the power to make her life either end or miserable, and obviously he had the power to end her husband's life. Right, which he did. So we don't look at her as having done anything wrong. She was a victim here. Um, that David was abusing his power and authority, and to the point where he kills a woman's husband to cover up his sin. Terrible. Now, if we jump to the next chapter, and the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to Nathan, the prophet. He came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Nathan David realizes that he has sinned grievously and much, and this psalm is what grows out of that repentance. Right,
2: right,
0: and that's an important thing to keep in mind because David's sins were obviously very
1: severe. Right, <laughs> I, terrible, yeah. terrible abuse of yeah. office, um, adultery, coveting, murder. I mean, he's guilty of murdering this man, even though he didn't physically do it. He arranged it and made it happen, Right. which, uh, you know, he contracted the murder basically, right?
0: Mm-hmm. So,
1: mm-hmm. I mean, this is terrible. But the thing about this, these Psalms, these penitential Psalms is there's a part of us that can relate to them and mm-hmm. say them and sing them along with this sinner who's been dead 3,000 years.
0: Right. Well, in some ways, it's kind of a comfort Comfort that it's David who wrote these, because um, perhaps some people do have a tendency to think that they're unforgivable because of the things that they have done. Yeah. And um, to see someone who has sinned as grievously as David receive God's forgiveness in these Psalms uh, can be a comfort to people who have those sorts of thoughts.
1: A great comfort and why we use them so much. So let's just look... And some select verses, um, I'll engage in what my friend calls a psalmectomy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Take some of the pieces and parts out of it, but but it's okay for us this evening. Uh, he starts with "Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions." In other words, oh my goodness, forgive me. Mm-hmm. And this forgiveness is based on God's mercy, which is, which stems from, originates in God's steadfast love. Right. It's his love, right. which, you know, the truth, you want to know God, if you don't know what God is like, you want to know what God desires, he's love and he desires to forgive you and have you as his child forever and ever. Right. That's God. Right. People speculate all sorts of things about God. Why does God think this? Why does God allow that to happen? Why did God allow the earthquakes to happen last week in Syria and Turkey? You can you can you can twerk yourself all out of any reasonable thought. You have to get back to the fact that God wants you to be his forgiven child. Mm-hmm. That's right. the true nature of God.
0: According so we start your... with the recognition of that right off the bat here in Psalm fifty one. Yeah,
1: just just you know, step up the plate and hit the home run right now. Have mm-hmm. mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. Now, this verse, this is a serious topic, but I always chuckle, and maybe I shouldn't say this because then you'll chuckle too, or against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And of course, I always stop and think, well, what about Uriah and Bathsheba? <laughs> right, right, yeah. <laughs> but the point being is that ultimately, sins against a fellow person are sins against God because we are made in God's image. Right. That's So when we murder someone or... When we do anything wrong, we're sinning against God.
2: Right, right. Because you
1: can't, like, I can't approach God that way and 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 assault Him. Right. But yeah. We can we can assault others, right?
0: Yeah. And we we talked about the converse of this a few weeks ago too. When Jesus says, "What you've done for the least of these, you've you've done to me also." It's it's, it's a two way street though in that way. Right. Every you sin against other- our neighbor is a sin against God, and a kindness to our neighbor is a kindness toward God, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, because we are made in the image of God and, and we Christian people represent God. And Uriah had aligned himself uh, with with the true God and, and with the, the people of Israel. Mm-hmm. I am I'm assu- I'm, i don't think it's a quantum leap to say that he was a man of
2: faith. Right.
1: Even though he was a Hittite. Right. Okay, so he was a convert. Uh, but he was fighting with Israel's army etc cetera, etc. Cetera. So he was a devotee, he was part of the community, and it's it's terrible. He he was he was honorable mm-hmm. where David wasn't. Mm-hmm. So against you, you only have by sin and dumb as evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment, that God's judgment of us is indeed right. Right. It's a correct judgment that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yes. No this verse is also, some other Bible translations do a little better job with it. This is, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Also, almost leaves us with the notion that he was a product of adultery or something.
0: I see. I see what you mean, but, yeah.
1: No. The idea here is that when he was conceived, he was sinful.
0: Right. One of the clear teachings of original sin that we have in Scripture, right?
1: Yes, and one of the other translations, uh, I believe St. I.B. says, I have been a sinner um, from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me.
0: Mm. Yeah, I like and, that.
1: And that's, that's the idea. That's the yep. idea. Not right. that his parents had done something wrong or something. That's not
0: the point. He's recognizing his guilt, even from original sin, in addition to the guilt he's accrued through these. Uh, right sinful actions right
1: right and we can talk about that we i mean we think about that there's a a good concept for us to consider is that our, our original sin that we inherit from our parents you know adam and eve were made in the image of god and then they have children in their image mm-hmm. in that in that we're all sinful
0: right and yeah that's another reason the psalm is so appropriate for ash wednesday uh, a, a large part of the ash wednesday service is kind of pointing back to genesis right and so now we have this, yeah, exactly. And now we have this reference to original sin in the psalm to be read for Ash Wednesday. It's just another thing that ties back to the theme of the day.
1: Yeah, and when, when, when we talk about preach, uh, discuss the idea of original sin, it's not to lead people to despair again. It's to remind them of their true condition and their need for God. Right. Okay. And, and on these uh, verses, which we use liturgically so often, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. So he wants God to restore his spiritual well-being mm-hmm. by the gracious operation of the Holy Spirit. Right. So don't do not take your holy Spirit from me. If you do that, I'm spiritually dead. right. And he, right. He's crying to God, let me live. I don't deserve it. I've done terrible things, but oh dear God, please continue to send your spirit in my heart so that I am spiritually alive and I, and I have an, etern- an eternity, a blessed eternity awaiting me. Now this is fascinating also for another point that you know King David was the king of this nation of God's people. The handoff, sort of, from the theocracy to King Saul to King David, you know, God's still there as the ultimate ruler and authority, even though we now have this earthly king, and and God and the king are concerned with the spiritual and physical, emotional, political well-being of the people, but here you you are we are taught that God is also concerned with the eternal well-being of the individual,
2: right, right.
1: This is a this is personal, right. Yes, right. And it's yep. we each have a personal relationship with God. Yes. Not individualistic, but individual.
0: Right. And and that's something that, you know, so like in the Old Testament, it seems that God dealt with people perhaps in a more corporate way than he... In did mass. Not. Yeah, exactly, yeah.
1: Yeah, just as the group. Right. And we still... But
0: he, he, we even here have those elements of individual faith, right?
1: Yeah, personal faith, saving faith, even though God was still dealing with them as a group and trying to shepherd them as a group, he was still concerned about their individual spiritual well-being. As David voices so well in these beautiful verses from the psalm, in mm-hmm. me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Right. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Lovely. He's crying to God, be merciful. Don't let me die spiritually. Indeed, For you will not delight in sacrifice, for I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice of God or a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Verses 16 and 17 talk about the fact that, yes, even though God had demanded certain rites rituals performances sacrifices be done during the corporate worship service but they're there to nurture the people's faith they're not done just for the sake of doing them mm-hmm. they're there to remind the people of their sinfulness and god's mercy right and right. verse 17 just sums it up beautifully the sacrifice of god or a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart oh god you will not despise
0: and that kind of sums up the whole season, doesn't it, of Lent? Like, that's, that's kind nice. of the spirit that Lent is intended to cultivate ultimately.
1: That's the idea. A penitential yeah. season is, is, is for this that God isn't interested in our religious obedience. I mean, he, you know, he obviously was more in the Old Testament. There was, more, there was more to it in the Old Testament. But ultimately, what he's concerned with is our spiritual renewal. Right. Okay. Right. Okay, I think that is probably a really good place to wrap things up, Will.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think so too.
1: Okay, leave us on the high note of the sacrifice of God or a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. Right. Okay, do you have a prayer for us this evening?
0: I do. We'll pray the prayer from Lutheran worship, actually, for Ash Wednesday.
1: Okay, then we pray.
0: Almighty and everlasting God, Because you hate nothing you have made and forgive the sins of all who are penitent, create in us a new and contrite heart that we, worthily repenting of our sins and acknowledging our wretchedness, may obtain from you the the God of all mercy, perfect remission and forgiveness. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.